0: Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlocks big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we'll unlock the book Excellent Sheep, The Miseducation of the American Elite and the Way to a Meaningful Life. If we're asked to think of the best schools in the U.S., most of us would probably say Harvard, Yale, MIT, and so on. Students who attend these prestigious institutions are generally regarded as being the best and the brightest. After graduation, they are expected to get decent well-paid jobs, build elite connections, and succeed in their professional lives. However, are students educated in the elite education system as polished as we think they are? One day in his class at Yale, a university teacher talked about the importance of being alone. He suggested that the ability to engage in introspection is the precondition for living the life of the mind, and that the essential precondition for introspection is solitude. No one had probably ever asked the students to think about introspection, solitude, and the life of the mind. While taking in these concepts, one student had an epiphany, He and his fellow students were just like Excellent Sheep. In this book, Excellent Sheep refers to the students educated in the elite education system. They are brilliant, gifted, ambitious, but at the same time anxious and timid. They don't have a clear picture of their future, they lack curiosity and a strong desire to fight for the things they really want. Wrapped in a giant bubble of privilege, they move dutifully in the same direction, toward wealth and success. They're great problem solvers who don't know why the problems need to be solved, that's why they are excellent sheep that follow orders without thinking much. Using an abundance of real cases, this book unveils the problems that plague elite education. It tells us what a good education should look like and what prestigious schools could do to break free from traditional education and help their students fulfill themselves. The previously mentioned university teacher is the author of this book William Derezowitz. He graduated from Columbia University where he worked for five years as a graduate instructor. He also taught English at Yale University for 10 years. These experiences allowed him to dig deep into the elite education system. Before writing this book, Derezowicz published a controversial article entitled The Disadvantages of an Elite Education which received a largely positive reaction from students at prestigious schools. He was later invited to give speeches at schools across the country and discuss the same topic with students. These experiences gave him extensive information and real case studies for this book, which paints a true picture of elite students. Next, we'll explore the major points of this book in three parts. Part 1, how does the elite education system influence the lives of college students? Part 2, what should a good education look like? Part 3, what should be done when reality and education philosophies conflict? First, let's look at how the elite education system influences the lives of students. Students in prestigious schools like Harvard or Stanford have a full schedule almost every day. They work hard to get straight as and participate in various extracurricular activities, such as student organizations and the school orchestra, which can add to their credits. Also, these elite students are often good at sports, play several musical instruments, and speak several languages. Some of them have even participated in off campus projects that provide aid to poor areas around the world. In a word, they're a group of vibrant, smart, and high achieving young people. The schools and society at large are proud of them, and they're eager to do anything that might make their CV look better. You probably want to know how the educational philosophies at prestigious schools produce such outstanding students. To find out, we'll focus first on how the elite education system has evolved. Only after learning how the system developed can we understand how the admissions process at prestigious schools assumed its present form. Let's go back to the late 19th century and look at the Ivy League colleges, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Dartmouth, and Pennsylvania. At the time, the Ivy League schools were relatively small local institutions. Before the Civil War, America was a largely agricultural country that was fragmented into regional economies. There weren't many rich kids, Few students in the Ivy League schools were rich gentlemen's sons, so while they provided a good education, these schools could hardly be described as elite. After the Civil War, industrialization boomed. New fortunes and a new plutocracy were born. The railroad network connected different regions of the United States into one unity and created a national economy. The old regional elites began to see themselves as national elites and regard themselves as aristocrats, and they started to make every effort to reinforce their class identity. They created all kinds of institutions for their own use, including exclusive resorts, country clubs, and others. That was when Harvard, Yale, and Princeton known as the Big Three began to expand and enroll more rich kids. To attract more kids from affluent families, these colleges started to put more emphasis on extracurricular activities to dispel their bookish image. For example, American football now a popular sport was invented at the elite schools during this period. Other schools followed suit, and all of them expanded successfully. Through this approach, the big three became iconic institutions in the education sector in the 1880s. But what problems did this approach cause? Perhaps the biggest one was that instead of a student's academic ability, the Ivy League schools put more value in the student's family background. Most students came from the college's feeder schools and affluent upper-class families. No matter how poorly they performed academically, these students could still get into prestigious colleges. This was an unattainable dream for most public high school students. Those students often failed to meet the prestigious college's admission requirements simply because certain courses were not offered in their schools. In other words, most American high school students didn't even have a chance of being admitted to the Ivy League schools. It's obvious that although this approach made the Ivy League schools more closely connected with the upper class, their students became less interested in academics. They indulged in parties and other social activities and it even became snobbish. As their academic performance dropped, the schools started to worry. Their solution was to drop the enrollment requirements for certain subjects such as classical languages that had been taught only in their feeder schools. This meant that students from public high schools who previously had been automatically excluded now had a chance to be admitted. Consequently, enrollment from public high schools soared more Jewish students were admitted, which many upper-class Protestant families didn't welcome. Therefore, to maintain their ties with the upper class, the schools started to introduce new admission requirements such as reference letters, alumni interviews. They also gave the kids of alumni preferential treatment. This had the effect of limiting the admission of Jewish students which was probably the intention. In the 1930s, James B. Conant, the then president of Harvard began to take steps to solve the previously mentioned issues. He wanted to raise Harvard's academic standards, which meant enrolling more truly outstanding students. So he introduced something new to Harvard's admissions process, the SAT, the same standardized psychometric test that is widely used for college admissions in America today. While Harvard merely reformed its admissions process, Yale revolutionized theirs. Kingman Brewster, the president of Yale made changes to the primary admission criteria and reduced the school's preference for athletes and kids of alumni. Yale also removed the Jewish quota and instituted need-blind admissions. As a result, the admissions process at these prestigious schools seemed to be more reasonable, less exclusive, and less biased towards rich kids. However, decades later, a bomb dropped. US News and World Report a week-third among American Newsweeklies debuted its college rankings in 1983. Also in the 1980s, the college admissions industry boomed. Test prep, consultants, tutors, guidebooks, students and their parents wanted all of them to boost their chances of being admitted to a prestigious school. Ever since, the competition for enrollment in the prestigious colleges has become ever fiercer. Because of this, The students who want to attend a prestigious school have to be well-rounded. It's not enough for a candidate to excel at writing poems or computer programming. They're also expected to play a musical instrument, be good at sports, and have founded some kind of club. Simply put, prestigious colleges want young people who are both well-rounded and have special talents. You might wonder isn't it great that they choose the best and the brightest? Perhaps. But in fact, such an education system can cause potential harm to students. First of all, elite students admitted to prestigious schools have always been successful. As a result, they're terrified by the possibility of failure in the future. Even a temporary unimportant failure would make them doubt themselves. Because of those harsh admission requirements, many students strive only to outperform their peers many of them participate in at least six or seven different extracurricular activities to look outstanding they sacrifice their health friendships and romance all for a better looking cv things like friendship love fun and self-discovery are the cornerstones of a person's mind and soul however during these crucial years when they are supposed to be developing and refining their worldview and outlook on life These elite students are so busy meeting their dream school's requirements that they have no time to stop and reflect on why they're there in the first place. After graduation, they take all the necessary steps to become wealthy and successful as they enjoy all kinds of top-level resources provided by their prestigious alma mater. They heed the school's advice and choose to work in popular industries like finance and medical science. Very few of them choose to be thinkers, poets, teachers, or NGO workers, professions that are deemed unattractive. After all, the primary goal of these graduates is to make more money. Moreover, the elite education system can harm students' psychological and mental health. According to Derezewicz's study on hundreds of students in top-tier colleges, many of them suffer from serious anxiety disorders as they are under huge stress. Many students also struggle with a wide range of mental health concerns including low self-esteem, developmental disabilities, depression, eating disorders, self-harm, schizophrenia, and even suicidal tendencies. Believe it or not, more and more elite students have to take antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. They don't use these drugs for pleasure, they just want to be normal. Some students even have to suspend their studies due to their mental health concerns. Okay, that's all for the first part. Undeniably, the prestigious colleges are outstanding schools, and their students are elite. Still, getting educated in such an elite education system is not always healthy. The students are often afraid of failure, and worse, they suffer from various psychological issues due to the immense pressure to perform and excel. That's certainly not what we expect from a good education. But what does makes a good education? Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.